This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash anti-heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash anti-heroes. Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Welcome to the Anti-Heroes Podcast with your host, Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair. How are you doing? How's everything going? Where are you at in life? Lately, I have been doing a crazy Eddie Van Halen plunge and appreciating and being obsessed with all things Eddie Van Halen. Jesus Christ. I've been sort of obsessed, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so today, man... I interview, have interviewed friends and, and close people to me, but this is different today, folks. This is immediate circle friends. We do holidays at each other's house. These are some of my best friends, folks. These are the guys I would, if I got to call at 3 a.m. to do anything for either one of them, I would drop everything and go do that without a question. Some of my best friends in the world. This is Ian McDougal and Fadi El Assad from the band The Riverboat Gamblers. And as you'll hear from countless other things that they have both done with their interesting lives and interesting careers. And I just love them both so much. And what amazing players, amazing musicians, influential to me for their playing, their music, and just the, who they are as people. Uh, these are guys I call with advice. These are guys that. I call just to shoot the shit with. I talk to both of these guys every other day. Uh, I have musical projects with these guys. We've played countless shows together. And they're just wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. If you don't know the Riverboat Gamblers, please pick up the Riverboat Gamblers and start with the re-release of their just seminal, amazing record, Something to Crow About, which we talk about here. I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you meet 
these guys the way I have met these guys. And let's get into my interview with Ian McDougall and Fadi El-Assad from the Riverboat Gamblers. Ian, hi, Fadi. Hello. What's happening, Zach? (laughs) So I know I've done a big intro already, but I do have to reiterate that Uh, You know, this is going to be a really special season for me because it's going to be a lot of family. And I can't understate the fact that you guys are, in fact, family. We do holidays at each other's houses. Your kids feel like my nieces and nephews and things like that. So it's a big deal for me to have you guys on. Plus, this is my first three-way episode. You're my first three-way. Yeah. baby. Let's high five, Foggy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it goes. There it goes. Go. There, yeah. there it is. There it is. So anyway, like I said before, I'm going to like suspend the notion that I don't know most of these answers for you guys because we have grown up together. I've known you each over 20 years. So your bassist is actually my best friend in the world. I have a band with your lead singer, that Ian, you step in and out of on that one as well. We've all yeah. kind of done projects together. We've all... We've done, I've done something with all of you guys. Um, Ian and I have the number one record, which we're trying to plan out right now. And uh, Yeah, when are y'all uh, doing that again? I think we're doing that around December. Jake from Black Angels has a big star cover band called Ardent. Oh, nice. And I think we're just going to do number one record plays the replacements. Oh, uh, yeah. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. What, 13th floor maybe? At 13th floor. For That's like in a, Austin, Texas, everybody. The December thing. It's funny, too, because I sent a picture to everybody. I got this as a gift a long time ago, and it's, like, still brand new. But it's one of those How Leonard Paul Westerberg music books. It has, like, the sheet music for every single, <laughs> like, all of these you read? Can you read music? No, I can't read music. I started actually learning how to understand it. I know that it's actually not is fucking crazy as you think just because <laughs> it's not I, I've, I've picked up a couple of small things from evie's piano lessons yeah i'm helping her with that yeah and just n- noticing where the notes go i mean i i'm a tab guy i grew up when i started playing i was learning from my dad my dad was teaching me and uh he would send me when he was still living living overseas i lived apart from him a lot when i was a kid he'd send me sheets these those huge folded up sheets of tabs and I just opened those up and I said, I never bothered to learn yeah. music, like to actually read music, which I wish I had. I think that's what's great about our generation is that tablature became such a prevalent force with uh, guitar magazines, guitar player, guitar world. That was like, you know, you too can learn this riff and you didn't have to know sheet music. And at the time, let's also face it. The only way you were learning stuff from ear is if a, you were naturally sort of talented and B you had the patience to set that record back or rewind the tape or whatever and learn that part. Whereas now mm-hmm. with YouTube, you can actually slow it down. You know, there's somebody teaching you how to play every riff ever written. So, you know, because of that and, and to that, I'm going to ask both of you each, you know, I want the crowd to know uh, whoever's listening to this to know your individual voices. So I'm just going to say your names when I'm asking you a question. Otherwise, it's going to get real confusing because we all have similar kind of voices with our timbre and our Texas drawls, um, <laughs> our stupid fucking accents. North Texas, y'all. Oh, yeah. Uh, for those listening, Ian and Fadi are both from Denton, Texas. I am from Sherman, Texas. And there are 
they're spitting distance from each other. So Fadi, let's to that point, you said your dad sort of taught you. Is that something, was the impetus there for you before that? Um, or did your dad say, I'm just going to teach you guitar and you're just going to like it? No, he, it was never any of that. I wanted to learn. I started growing up always feeling on the outside and a lot of times just being on the outside. You don't find your thing and your culture and your people till something really sparks. And that was when I was a kid, it was skateboarding and punk. You know, when I was younger, I knew that I, I liked loud rock music, right? Yeah. Loud guitars, but I couldn't, I wasn't exposed to anything really. So it was all just whatever was, was on the radio. And then I heard, uh, I was sitting in this guy's truck when I was probably 13 or maybe 14. There's the Texas in a truck. Uh, yeah, sitting in a truck. He was smoking weed. He was like 16. I was like, yeah, I can't remember. I was 13 to 14, but he played Minor Threat, Dead Kennedys, and Misfits. I remember those are the first three real, like, full punk records that I heard. And it was right about then that I knew I wanted to play guitar. Oh, that's, wow. That's, I was like, I'm going to do this. I know my dad plays guitar. This is what I want. Um, before that, I didn't have anything. I didn't have an older brother that was into it. My brother was into other stuff. You know, he's yeah. more just into sports and, and baseball cards and stuff like that. Um, I didn't have any cool older friends or friends, older brother, older sister to show me anything. So I'd learned, I, I came into it a little bit later, but um, as soon as I heard it, I wanted to play guitar. I told my dad, I want to play guitar. He was stoked on it because he played guitar. So he gave me his old nylon string Spanish classical that I still have. And those old classicals don't have any fret markers. So I took some white out. I made little dots because I couldn't really, I had to figure out where I was putting my hands. And that's when he would send me all the, the just folders and folders of tabs. And yeah. I sat there and planned, just learned these tabs. And then like you were saying later on when I could kind of figure out, oh, I'm actually, I can, I'm picking this up. I know how to do this. You know, I could play by ear. Yeah. And uh, that's when I started really taking off. Wouldn't it have been shitty if you had put the dots in the wrong spots and you just learned how to play? That I think one? I, I think I might have. I think I did. I think I put the first. I think I did it on like the second fret because I didn't know what I was doing and I looked at a thing and I was like, "Oh, it's oh, I gotta oh, fix this. I scrape no. it off and I start over." I still have that guitar. That's right. That's right. And well, you know, a I, I, as long as I've known you, I didn't know your dad played guitar. I, I didn't know that story, so I'm really glad we're. We're doing this for many reasons. Yeah, um, that's weird. I can't believe we never talked about that. I know, I know. I, you never told me that your dad played guitar. Ian, same question. Yeah. Um, gosh, whenever I started, I think like the same thing with my parents. Like my mom, she didn't play or anything, but I started kind of going through their tape collection and they had like, it was all over the place. Like they'd have like KMFDM tapes and Ministry, Depeche Mode. And then they'd also had like an X tape under the Big Black Sun by X. Right. Yeah. And there was a there was a birthday where she got me um, Dead Kennedy's Plastic Surgery Disasters. She got yeah. me a CD for my birthday one year. And I think after that is when I really wanted to like, OK, I want to figure out how to play guitar. And I had just moved to Texas and uh, it was kind of like perfect timing for a lot of reasons, you know, like a new school. I didn't really know anybody. I didn't really like anybody. So I started sort of finding my own thing in a way where like I started going to the nearest record store, which is funny how all of it lined up. There was a record store across the street from my school called CD Addict. And it was owned by Mark Burke, Jeff Burke from the Mark Men's brother. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so I used to go in there after school and I was starting to really get into punk and everything. And so I'd buy, I'd buy like a Buzzcock CD or something 
and uh, like singles going steady. And he was like, well, if you like that, you might want to check out my brother's band, the marked men. They're actually playing this weekend. So he just gave me that record on vinyl and he was like, he got a record player at home and it was the second one. It was the, on the outside record. And so, or it might've been the first one I listened to it and I was like, this is incredible. And so my only other friend in high school, his name was Chris Johnson. He had a car and we went up to Denton and saw the show. And that's where I kind of met everybody that would eventually become like friends of mine and bandmates and everything. Like we went up there and then we were just like, we have to start a band. And so I got a guitar. I had like a friend of mine show me how to play a power chord after school one day. And I just like diligently just sat in my room for like an entire summer doing what you like, what you were saying, just like, just trying to like, Oh my God, that matched up, you know, yeah. like at first, do you remember the feeling when you figured out a power chord? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. When, I can just do this anywhere. I can put the shape, the whole, that's all I need. Yeah. It was overwhelming. I was trying to learn how to play uh, Clash City Rockers. It was like the U.S. version of the first Clash record. And I remember just like trying so hard just to get that first dent, dent, dent. It sounded like yeah. Kansas by The Who. So I just remember trying to do that and I finally got it and then just started writing songs and then making my way up to when I had a band that would play with the marked men and eventually play with gamblers. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I, it's funny that you, <laughs> 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 I'm just going to say this real quick. It's funny that you mentioned Mark Burke's uh, record store. Cause I was probably around that same age that I was talking about earlier, 13, 14, I saw rocket from the crypt on John Stewart's uh, spring break, whatever, something on MTV. And then Rocket was on and they were in blue sequence cowboy outfits and they played Ditch Digger from Circa Now. And I went to the mall because it's the only place I knew to go when I was a kid. And I went to the mall at Blockbuster Music and it was Mark Burke that was working there. That's so funny. That got me that the Circa Now CD. That's awesome. That was like with the U.S. bombs and seeing them on premium blend. We had Comedy Central and I saw that. And I think that's also a big reason because I was like, look at these fucking guys on this show. Like mm -hmm. they looked crazy. <laughs> the guitar player looked awesome. And I was like, I want to do that. Well, you know, coming from the small, weird communities that we come from in Texas, it's so important to have that ground zero, to have that guy. And in this case, it was Mark Burke. In Sherman, we had a bunch of like burnout weirdos that were getting us all into punk and metal. The older guys, that sort of the the Sherpas that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. ushered yeah. And, and shaped our young minds. It was like, no, kid, you seem like you're a little fucking weirdo. You probably get beat up here. And they give you something that just opens yeah. up your world. My dad was a bit like that. You know, he was that guy. What was he into? My dad was a radio DJ. Um, and that's, we had always had this crazy mm. awesome record collection, but he was into like heavier acid rock, like blue cheer and. Like the stuff that would have been the. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad was a bit of like a record geek. Well, he was a record geek, you know, like a record store geek. One of those dudes that kind of a snobbish about music. You know, Ian, when you've talked about your parents and what they were into, it always sort of reminded me of my parents were probably a generation before your parents, but yeah. were into like what was cool and hip in the 70s, not the alt rock radio stuff. But those people are so important, especially for kids like us that were probably meant oh, yeah. to be. In bigger communities, we probably would have flourished so much better in, if we had been born in the big city. But it's so cool that we weren't because having that experience of a small town and having to get out of that small town, it, yep. it sort of conditioned who we were. You appreciate it more when you do. Yeah. 
it's a huge thing when there's not much around, then you end up making your own thing. I mean, I, I think yeah. that I, I don't know that I would have been, if I didn't grow up in Denton and you know, Denton's a bit bigger now, there's probably 130 or something thousand people. When I was a kid, when we got there is what, like eighties, late eighties. I was born in Kentucky, but we bounced around. So I got to Denton. I was still in grade school, but it was still the eighties. Yeah. It was small. And like you're saying, that's those small towns, that feeling, that vibe, that culture, leads you to find your own thing and to make your own thing. And then the house shows started happening again and all the bands started coming up. Uh, right. The scene just blew up. And I'm not sure that that would have happened that way in a big town. So I'm, I'm glad to be from there. I think it would have affected our art as well because I was partial because you guys were my family even back then. But when, like, say, the Riverboat Gamblers did the Warp Tour, no band out there sounded like the Riverboat Gamblers. No band sounded – I mean, you guys could definitely – hear the influences, but there was something very, very, and still very, very much Riverboat Gamblers about your band. And I think that has something to do with the fact that you weren't from the cool hip place. You were from a fucking podunk weird Texas town. And I I think I'll say that for myself as well. Hackfish also didn't fit anywhere. You know, we were trying to rip off the descendants, but we had a Texas thing happening and we didn't, you know, we would tour with all the other bands just like you guys. And we never sounded like the bands we were paired with, just like you guys didn't either. Mm -hmm. I know it was tough, like when we started working with other people, like management and stuff to really like find a thing like we had the show and these songs. But I think that, you know, at the time to try and a very unpigeonholy kind of band, you know, yeah, like, we hadn't. Yeah, we had no like real specific scene that we yeah. just fit into and to, to kind of catapult off of, you know, yeah. and like you were saying that like your surroundings, the culture at large from where you are all that stuff seeps in somehow. It just kind of does. Yeah. Um, you know, New York bands will sound different from California bands. It's just, it, there's just something about it. Well, the thing that I used to be jealous of, I used to be so jealous of people that were from either coast because I felt like I was, I had FOMO, like missing out on all this great culture that was happening. But I don't think I would change a thing about it because all of the greatest bands were bands that sounded unto themselves. You know, no one sounded like, Van Halen or Led Zeppelin or The Who or or even all the greatest punk bands. No one sounded like X and still don't sound like X. And so I think that, I mean, a lot of those bands are actually from the coasts, but they were also just really original and really creative musicians. And we got it from just the fact that we were, you know, of our, of our surroundings. Music and, and punk and what we all came up in became so pigeonholed that it was really easy to put a bunch of bands on the same bill that sounded really similar, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I love that about our bands. I love that about the bands we all grew up with and uh, the Mark Men guys and all that, that we just kind of didn't sound like anyone else, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even sound like each other, you know what I mean? But we all worked on the same bills. Yeah, I know. That's true. I mean, even coming from the same uh, punk scene in Denton, like you're like, uh, Mark Men had their own. For sure. They had their own thing, their own vibe, their own sound, but there ended up being from what was happening in the 90s to the early aughts, just kind of accidentally creating this thing that became called the Denton Sound, which I think is such a cool, especially in Japan. They There's a whole section in, in record stores I've heard. I've never been to Japan, which, I, yeah. which irks me to this day. It's one of the biggest regrets that I have for the band that we never toured Japan. But I've heard that they have we'll sections in the, in the stores. Yeah, we'll go. Uh, in stores, it says, you know, one section is Denton Sound and they'll have Denton bands. And I've it seen makes, it. It, it. Yeah. And it makes you realize how much it meant. This little thing that you thought we we're just going to play some shows. We're going to, you know, right. whatever. 
And it, it created an entire, what became a sort of subgenre just to a lot of people. So that, that's really cool. When I heard that, I was, you can't help but you feel a little bit of pride. You're like, I hey, Denton, cool. Yeah, cool. right. Yeah. Well, to that, so so there was some precursors to the Riverboat Gamblers. Fadi, I know that you and Mike had, give me the story. How did the Gamblers sort of start, get together? Yeah, Mike and I had been playing music together since I was 15. I met him when I was wow. 14. I was just, yeah, he was, he was older than me. So he was the older kid that could drive and we'd go skateboarding and we started talking about music. You know, as time passed, we, we started talking about, we had a couple of mutual friends and played in a band with this other Mike and other Mike and I were friends with Weeby. So we decided to form our own little high school band. We we're called Skeleton Kids. And then after that fell apart, cause you know, I was like 16, we started doing a couple other bands and then Patrick and I, our original bassist Patrick, were in another, yet another band that was on tour through the Midwest, and we were in this old piece of shit van that had a crack in the dash. I was letting in gas fumes. We didn't realize everybody's getting high from gas fumes on this <laughs> tour, and we started talking about wanting to get out of that band and do something else, something on our own, and that was the Gamblers. So we uh, had a couple practices, then Mike jumped in, like just a couple practices in. So that, that was the core. It was uh, the three of us. And then we just started playing house shows. Nobody wanted it, took us seriously. We were kind of, we were half joking about stuff that we were doing because we we're all in other bands. And uh, we just made it as big and bombastic and ridiculous as possible. Lots of heavy, big, big riffs and guitar solos and stuff. And then eventually having fun with a band realized that, well, let's just take this more seriously. And this yeah. was probably late nineties. This is probably, we started in 97 like started started right we didn't really do anything until about 99 we started playing austin and dallas we released a seven inch two song seven inch single and then we started taking it a lot more seriously meaning not trying to be super pro but just meaning let's not fuck around so much and just let's write songs that we want to write yeah and that's when things really started rolling we uh did the first you know we found a little label out of dc that put out me and mike's other bands before we got the first record out, self-titled in 01, and that's when it started ramping up. And then Something to Crow About was 03. And then Ian uh, was this kid that was coming, like he said earlier, was coming to shows in Denton, and we met, and he started coming over to my house, and we played video games and stuff. It's funny, <laughs> he used to, you, you, Ian used to throw rocks at my window, I remember, like, and I'd look out the window, I was like, I don't, I live with, like, my drunk roommate, you can just, like, walk in. <laughs> you just come on in. <laughs> I would sneak and, out. And, uh, and yeah, and I told the guys, I was like, there's this kid, man. I was like, there's this kid. This is this is the guy. Like, we need to get this kid in the van. So after Crow came out, this is um 03. Crow came out in 03. And about 04 is when we were going through some changes and we needed um Mark Ryan from the Mark Men was playing guitar with us. He did a couple of tours with us, he did Europe with us, and then he was kind of there was a not so much as a fissure, but it wasn't exactly what he wanted to do. And you can hear that, you know, with Mark Mann and, and Mind Spiders, like that's what he wants sure. to do. So I could kind of feel him leaning away from it a little bit. And that's when I was, I was telling the guys like, we got to get Ian. And uh, <laughs> luckily we did, we did. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's really when we just started going for it. So yeah. for those that aren't involved, even though we're all really, really close, Ian is, is quite younger than the rest of us. Um, are you 10 years younger than all of us? I think I'm 37 right now, but I turned 30. Yeah, you're, you're, I always remember you're seven years younger than I am. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you're like 10 years younger than Mike. You're about 11 years younger than me. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. Um, and I was so always had, the kid until you came along. <laughs> I was always I was always the youngest in all of my bands too until I joined Rise Against and then I just became the oldest person. It fucking sucks. Anyway, um, <laughs> sucks. Like in Guar, Zach out here. Exactly. When I was in Guar, I was I was like seriously ten years younger than everybody, like you, Ian. Yeah, with, I can, with us. I can imagine that. And that was the thing. And then it, I was the youngest in Hackfish, the whole thing. And then it just fucking overnight. I'm like, what the fuck happened? Anyway, I start <laughs> hanging out with older people. And then my brother is the youngest in the Toadies. You know, I'm like, I need to join that fucking band. Yeah. Anyway. So Ian, for you, were they just like a, a band you really liked, um, the sort of a local band that, that you dug a lot? Did you want to be in their band or was that beyond your sort of what you were thinking at the point? It was totally beyond what I was thinking. Like I wasn't, the idea of like joining a band like that wasn't something that I was like, it just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't fathomable. I had my band that I, it was called The Kicks. And that was one that I started in high school with my buddy Chris. And we really, like, we tried to do as much as we could. Like, then I, you know, it's that backwards thing of of not knowing and then asking friends and watching my other friends' bands. Because I was lucky enough to, like, be able to I, you know, I figured out how to take the bus downtown in Deep Ellum and I would see all these bands and and figure out like it was a really cool time for like this resurgence of like 70s rock and rolly punk that was kind of happening at the time. And that's mm-hmm. what the kids were sort of doing. And uh, yeah. so we had like a seven inch out that we did through Pilato that like came out the same time the first Exploding Hearts record came out and on the same label and, and all of this cool stuff. And so in my head, I was going to like get out of high school and then I was going to try and do this band, the kicks. And then it was like literally the summer that I graduated, I got a call from Foddy and it was just like perfect timing because I had no idea what the fuck I was going to do. Right. And so we did that first tour. I was super stoked and I would just go up to Denton and play with Foddy and learn all the songs from Crow and like all the stuff from the first record. And then I remember there was the Rory demo that you guys had that had stuff that was eventually on confusion. And so we were learning some of those songs and then but we just kind of hit the road and went on that first Burning Brides tour. They had just put out like a, their second record or something. And so it was Gamblers and Burning Brides. That was That's the first right. Record. That was your first one with us. Yeah. yeah. And I remember after like the second show, I think is when you guys asked if I would just do this permanently. And I was just like, yeah, fuck, let's do it. And, uh, yeah. and that was it. And it was crazy because I had never toured. I'd never the farthest I had gone to play a show was like from Dallas to Austin or no, maybe San Antonio, the kicks played in San Antonio once. And I remember it being such a to do and like just to get down four hours. And now the first show I think was in new Orleans at Jack. uh, What was it called? Yeah. I I can't remember. One eye jacks. One eye jacks. That was it. Yeah. 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 I remember that place. So the first show that I played with them was One Eye Jacks. And I remember even Brian afterwards coming up and saying, dude, you got to do this band. Dude, you got to do this band. That was our tour manager, Brian, who's like one of my oldest friends from high school. 
it's hilarious that I even just and then cut to 20 years later i was touring with him again <laughs> yeah, oh, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah i know that's right it's you and bbc right. baby yeah I'm, i saw the kids i saw y'all at spider babies i think I think that's when I that's when I was like, this is awesome. We played there in Red Blood Club all the time. I remember back then, those early days, man, like a, a run, you know, from say Dallas to Austin was a tour. You'd mm-hmm. call it a tour. Like we're going oh, on a yeah. tour. And then your ass really gets a tour and you're out for fucking three months. You're like, okay, this is a tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh shit. You come home and there's yeah. a building, a building has been built that it wasn't there. That happens so much now, like leaving yeah. Austin and you come back and you're like, fuck, what's 6th Street now? You know, yeah, what's, what's going on? What's going on? Well, you know, and so, Ian, you talked about it a bit there, but, you know, your trajectory, the gamblers, things started happening. You guys, you, you toured, you did a lot. You worked and life has started happening and people have had children and people have left and people have come and gone and stuff like that. The band's still together, still going strong. We'll get into what's going on with you guys in a bit. And you started professionally guitar teching, which I had Josh Newton on here as well from the wonderful band Shiner. Yeah, I love Josh. Yeah, and Josh is the best. And both of you guys had the ability to sort of be on both sides of it, like teching for artists and also being on stage, which I think is such a interesting sort of way of going about it. I know personally, I would love to have somebody over there that knew what it was all like. You know, my guy, Jeff, that I've had for 17 years now, I feel like he has toured as much as anybody else because he's just so great at what he does. Yeah. Um, you had one of the most interesting sort of trajectories as well, going from teching to actually playing in the band, uh, which was a band of horses that you did for a brief stint. And now you're back to doing your own solo stuff with Broken Gold and with Riverboat Gamblers. So yeah. maybe talk a little bit about all of that. That just seems like such a whirlwind of of activity there. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like, I guess when Gamblers kind of started slowing down, I kind of was left. I was sort of like, by that time, you know, like I joined the band when I was 17. And then all of a sudden, I'm 30. And I was just sort of like, fuck, what am I going to do? You know, like, yeah. because I was working a lot more at home. And uh, all those side jobs that I would pick up to be at home started turning into like, oh shit, this is what I'm doing. I'm just sitting in front of a fucking bar taking IDs. And so uh, I started putting the word out there that I was willing to do anything. Like I joined a couple of bands or I played guitar and left over crack through you. <laughs> that was yeah, interesting. Shout, shout out to leftover crack. Yeah. Uh, that was interesting. Um, and then, uh, and then that wasn't really for me. And then, so I went back to the drawing board and just started kind of putting the word out that I was willing to do anything. And so the first thing that I got was uh, a runner gig working. It was right after the sound city thing with Foo Fighters happened and they were working on a new record and they had, Who's that? My brother. Jesus Christ. Uh, That's hilarious. But yeah, uh, I did. I got a van driving job, driving Dave Grohl around when he was here in town doing that Sonic Highways TV show. And him and I just kind of hit it off. It was like me, him, his tour manager and his security guard just driving around Austin for a few (laughs) days. And then uh, they came back with the full band and I did the same thing and that went well. And so he just offered me a job and I didn't believe him because it was kind of insane that he was offering me a job and they didn't know what I was going to do. (laughs) And so uh, they made me assistant tour manager. And so I just went on tour as an assistant to Gus Brandt 
And I did that for a long time. And then um, once Dave, he fell off stage famously in Gothenburg. And that was an insane day. And after that, we did one more tour with him in the chair. And then we were going to take a big break. And so we took this huge break and I still needed to work. So I went to the management company and I was just kind of like, hey, if you have anybody else on the roster that needs somebody, I'm available. And so uh, Band of Horses was one of those bands. And funny enough, it was a lot of people that worked for them that were people that we had all met through Riverboat Gamblers. Our front of house guy was Mark Arnold from Big Drill Car. Brian McClellan was our tour manager for a long time with gamblers and he was their tour manager. So they actually brought me on as assistant TM and merch manager. So I basically was like counting merch, doing all that stuff, doing guest list and signage and set lists. And then also like occasionally selling, like if we were like in some place and the venue didn't have a seller, I'd be back behind the table so with those guys, we just got along really well. They were like immediately like very much like, man, this is just like some more guys, you know, or whatever. You know, we, we hit it off. And so uh, they hadn't toured in a long time either. So they hadn't really done a record cycle in probably, I don't know, since they had this record called Mirage Rock. And so we were doing mm-hmm. that. And, you know, you get in a bus or whatever, you start traveling with everybody in a submarine for a long time. Sometimes you can be like, man, I don't know, this isn't working out. So the guitar player and bass player left. And then they brought in Matt from Archers of Loaf to play bass. And they brought in this other guy to, to play guitar. And he didn't really work out or fit after about a week. And so I was already there and they knew that I had played guitar for years. And so they asked me, and same thing, I didn't really know if they were full on serious. And I thought that if, if it did happen, it would be very temporary. And it actually turned into me joining the band full time and playing with them for about seven years. And we made a record together. We wrote songs together. We did the whole thing. And that was kind of about it. And then same thing, you know, just like some time passes and people grow differently and whatever. And then... uh Things are on their course. Yeah. And then so I was still doing all of my stuff, though. I was still doing gamblers. There was never like a thing where I was just like, all right, guys, this is my full time thing. Like I'd still do as many gamblers things as I could or broken gold or use the money that I was making now from these other, you know, thing, other jobs to fund a lot of stuff with broken gold, putting seven inches out, studio time going on shorter tours. So I was really, really, really busy there for a while. So now just kind of being back around and just a lot of everything always just lines up and seems to kind of happen for a purpose. And so it just so happened that we had this something to crow about record. We can actually all play shows and go on tour and uh, do stuff after those fucking hell years. And so uh, we're just getting as busy as possible again. And so that's kind of what happened with me, you know, teach guitar lessons now. I've got a fucking weird resume. (laughs) Yeah. It's great though. It's great though. And you know, the broken gold stuff is, is fantastic. And you sort of make your living still with music in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Foddy, you know, on the other end of things, you also have a solo thing as well that you did not too long ago. And I hope to hear more from that Catholic or the Fadi uh, and yeah, Fadi and the new guard. Yeah. The new guard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do nearly, I don't do anything with it. 
<laughs> actually. I was going to say, I don't do you as much as uh, Broken Golden. I keep trying to convince them to put a band together. No. I have. I never put a band together for it. I got people to record, you know, the stuff that I couldn't play, yeah. like instruments I couldn't play. But I, I, I've got the record out, but I never actually formed a band, and I so obviously never played any shows. All of us would play, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're we yeah. all do. Yeah, it. I know. We, sure. got, we got some. We right. got some piano players. We got some keyboard players. And you know, and you know, I, I never thanked you because my last actual day job was with you. That's right. And I, I uh, seventeen years ago. It was 17 yeah. years ago. Yeah, I remember we were working at some construction site and we were hauling all these rocks. Like It was that kind of shit where it's like, uh, move that pile of rocks over to that pile of rocks. And like, all right, so we're just going to start moving these fucking rocks. <laughs> because we and were useless. I did that shit. Too. <laughs> and, then, and then this dude said, uh, <laughs> this guy, because they knew we were in bands when we played music and somebody saw us on the rocks and they go, look at it, two rock stars. And I was like, you stupid, <laughs> <laughs> stupid motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, I mean, dude, I fucking, I fucking, <laughs> I fucking stewed about that. I was like, yeah, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> I was so mad about it, like, like, it was some sick burn or something. It was the dumbest shit anybody could have said. <laughs> I'll never so forget it. And that same day, it was so weird, dude. I, I, I saw like a, a, a lone Doberman as I was going to my car, standing on the street, staring at me. And I didn't know what to do. Like, is this motherfucker going to make a move or what do I? And I saw, I like ran forward to my car and got in my car and shut the door real quick. And it was just a weird day and I'll never forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Rockstar. I think I was going to get killed by a, a Doberman. After a sick burn from a fucking hick. <laughs> yeah that's right well, we did we worked together for a bit anytime when when especially like being on tour or whatever because you get those times where you're like man fuck this or something yeah like, just like man it beats being fucking hung over laying shingle in the texas sun for i mean that's mm-hmm. that's for sure but dude i was i remember being on that job and because they realized i was absolutely worthless and i was only doing it until another tour took off because that's what i used to do back then i would get just crappy jobs in between tours and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, jobs, yeah. and I remember, well, we all did. We all did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, Hey, are you guys are, you know, they would see your resume go, are you going to be touring again? Like, no, never. That's, that's, yeah, you know, yeah. you got, <laughs> oh, I got that out of my system. <laughs> Merch is already on the way. It's already booked. Like, yeah, no, so, no, it's cool. Man. It's you're leaving in two weeks, but you're like, no, yeah. no, no, never, no. never, never, never. Yeah. But rise against called me. They, they were sending me out to Home Depot just to get supplies because they knew I was terrible. I mean, I had hit my own hand with a hammer so many times at that point. Where I was like, boom, God damn it. You know, I would just say it all. You know, everybody, like, he hit it yeah. did it again. So they were sending me out to Home Depot. I was at Home Depot when Rise Against called me about the job. And we were, they were just like, you know, the job's yours, man. And I remember I dropped the stuff. I was going to say, did you just Home throw the cart? Just- like send it out. Fuck this. <laughs> well, I almost did, and I came back and I told Jimmy James. Actually, I shout oh, out yeah, to yeah. Jimmy James, and he's like, "Dude, that's fucking great!" And I quit right there. I was just like, "You know what? Fuck this place." I um, remember you called me. You called me, and you were so stoked. Like, I can't tell you. I can't tell you yet, but it's it's really good news. Then you were so pumped, and I was like, "What is happening? What's going on?" And when you finally told me, I was like, "Holy shit, man!" And you know, just that, that's a testament to, to bring it all back full circle. I'm so glad you guys are doing this podcast here with me because that illustrates, I called you, I called Ian, I called Mike 
you know, I called all of you guys when that thing happened for me, you know, yeah. and I, as mm-hmm. I'm sure, well, Ian, when, you know, when, when the Foo Fighters thing happened with you and the band, you know, you called all of us. It's like, we yeah. are actually, you're not just close friends. We are absolutely family. You know, that also brings me around. You guys have had very, since it's a guitar podcast, let's get nerdy. Let's get in the weeds. Um, you guys both have played very discernible guitars pretty much the entire time. And Ian, you have taken yours to everything else. You you have the Les Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, the Telecaster Deluxe reissue, I think the 72 model. And Fadi, you have a beaten, battered Les Paul Studio, a black mm-hmm. one that you took the front pickup out. It's highly modified. I even bought you another one that you never even yeah. used because it's no, not no, that it's, one. It, it's not. <laughs> I, I get it. I was like, you need a backup at some point. And you're like, you never, you just still use your one that looks like it got drugged behind a fucking truck. But it's great. It's your guitar. And you know, I love that notion that we find a guitar and it's just like, this is the one I'm going to use. And both yeah. of you have done that. How did you get your Fadi first? When did you get that guitar? I got that one in 04, 05, something like that. It's a 90s model. I got it for cheap off eBay. It wasn't any special story. I'll, I'll go back. I played a um, SG for a few years, and that thing got broken into three pieces at a Beerland show back in 03. I remember that guitar. To me, you guys were that band with the kid that played the SG. That's what I thought of. I'd seen you play, and I was like, oh, they got that kid that plays the SG. I just remember the SG. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Angus Young. that It just stuck in my brain. I just loved that guitar, and when I got it, it sounded awesome, and I loved it. And then one show at Beerland, I was I used to do this thing where I'd kind of like have at the end of a set or at the end of a song. The, the shows were pretty wild back then, and I would just kind of hold it out, and people would like strum it or you know whatever. And at one point, somebody just kind of took it, so I just let them take it. And I turned around for a second, and I came back, and it was I swear to God, I was turned around for maybe four seconds, and the thing was on the floor in three pieces, just hanging together by the strings. Did they just step on it immediately? I guess so. So that was gone. They had it up on the wall, Randall put it up on the wall for years at Beerland. So I thought at least it's doing something cool. Yeah. What happened to it? He still has it. I asked him about it. I was like, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't, if you're not going to have it up, if it's just in storage, can I get it back? And I think he was a little uh, like, no, like, why? Yeah. Like, come on, man. You gave that. <laughs> you could glue that shit back together. I don't know, man. This thing was, it, it, it was bad. It was real bad. But yeah. then, so then I borrowed, Patrick had a, uh, a Les Paul, an Epiphone Les Paul. So I borrowed that, and that's when I, I, I knew that that was my guitar, a Les Paul. I was like, this is the shit. This is what I want to play. So I, uh, I went out and found a really good deal in that studio and realized that I never play the neck pickup, and I didn't like where the switch was because I keep hitting it when I strum. So, And if I only have the one pickup, then I don't need a switch, and I don't need the other two knobs. So I just whittled it down to the bridge pickup and tone and volume. And that's it. And everything yeah. else just goes, you know, goes through the amp and, uh, and pedals. I love it. I love I mean, nothing, I, nothing feels like that guitar to me. It is your guitar. You know, it's just, it's just the one. And I, I, I again, I, I never did a deep Eddie Van Halen dive before because you were just supposed to. And now I am, which is crazy, but it's much the same notion. Now he just chose that crazy weird Frankenstein guitar and reinvented the world with it. And it was, a, I mean, to, for all intents and purposes, a piece of shit guitar that he just kept tweaking and it holes in. It was just, you know, I just, I love that idea. I love the, 
Tom Morello did the same thing. Um, Ian, so about you with the deluxe, how long have you had that guitar? Because I want to say, did you have that when you joined the Gamblers? or or Not the particular one. I've actually had three of them stolen. Um, oh. So I had a Tele, like the first like real, real guitar that I ever had that I got was like a birthday or Christmas present from my mom. And it was, uh, it was just a telly, like a black normal telly. I don't even know. It was probably a Mexican version of something, but it was just a standard thing. And then, uh, I had that for a while. And then once I joined gamblers, it was pretty like, you know, I needed something with like a humbucker to fill that sound. Cause, uh, I mean like then my knowledge of, of anything was so fucking small, you know, like I didn't even have a pedal tuner. I don't think I had like a, one of those little pocket gray Korg little tuners, you know, Yeah. I didn't think to like, Oh, I could roll the tone knob back or like whatever. I just was like, okay, I need something with humbuckers. And I borrowed a bunch of stuff for a long time. Like I used a, an L six, from one of you guys, I had like an L success and I love that thing. And then Might I was have been, Mike. had have been Mike's that had been yeah, Mike's. that black, that black one. He's had that thing for, I didn't cause I didn't get mine till like 2010. Yeah. 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 I used that for a while. And then I used, uh, an SG for a second. And then when Volcom signed the band, they bought us all something. I think they all got us guitars or something like that. And so I was like, Oh, I want to get a Tele deluxe because it's got humbuckers. I think I had seen Jack from one man army and dead to me had one with humbuckers. And so I wanted one of those. And so I had that one for a while and then it, it got stolen when we got the trailer ripped into, I think in front of Stan Rose's house. And then the second one got stolen from Shangri-La, the bar that I worked at here in town. And then the third one got stolen in Canada when we were on tour with Against Me. So the one that I've had for a while now, I've had since 2010. And I've modded it quite a bit. It's got a different nut. It's got different tuners, different electronics. It's got Lawler Regal humbuckers in the front and back. And then uh, I did the same thing like Foddy was saying. I moved the switch down to the bottom, like the Keith Richards thing. It's got rid of one in the tone knob. So it's got two volumes and a master tone. And I've tried other guitars as far as like different styles. I've got probably about like nine Telecasters, but I've tried different playing Les Pauls and I'm a bigger dude. And whenever I play a Les Paul, just I've gotten so used to like the neck length of fenders. Yeah. I always feel like I'm real crushed together whenever I'm playing a Les Paul. I love the way that they sound and I wish that I could feel comfortable playing them, but I always feel just not, I'm always on my toes yeah. whenever mm-hmm. I'm playing something like that. And so that muscle uh, memory gets messed up too, right? When you, yeah. about how, how long, how far you move your arm and where your hand placement goes. Especially yeah. when, yeah. when gamblers are doing stuff and we're moving so fast and there's just like stuff, you know, you're doing the show and you're jumping around and, and screaming and singing and, and all those things. I've gotten to where like that thing is just like an extension of like my hands. And so like, right. I don't, I, I like barely look down at the fucking thing unless I have to do something that I got to look down for. So, uh, it's gotten to where I, I like that. So, but I've got a bunch of other tellies around here and they're all different. They all have the same body shape, but they're all for different things. You know, sure. jangly ones. I've got some with P90s. I've got 
single coils or like those Lindy Fralins that you gave me sound fucking awesome in this other yeah, one. Yeah, those are really cool pickups. And those were just in a Les Paul that I bought that I was like, oh, and I, immediately when I saw them, I was like, Ian will be able to use these pickups. They're like you know? Strat pickups, apparently. They're supposed wow. to be like a Strat pickup. So it's so wow. weird to me that they were in a Les Paul because they're so jangly. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> who who put them? And you know, I share your affinity with the tellies. I think I'm a Les Paul SG telly. Like that's, those are my things. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've always threatened to go straight up telly you know fender did make that the troublemaker telly which is basically oh, like, a less paul yeah. yeah they're so cool it's like i don't know if you know but it, it is basically a less paul electronics so it's two volume two tone two humbuckers toggle switch at the top just like a less paul a two mm-hmm. piece two pneumatic bridge like a gibson bridge but it's a telecaster and they're so cool and oh, i might just yeah. buy one yeah they're they're really cool i might i might get something like that i wanted a telly for a, a while now I'm going to send you a picture of these fucking things. Um, yeah. And you also had the Creston made, the custom boutique model Creston's made. It's I've got own. two of those. I got one that was like, well, I think when the first kind of big payday that gamblers got or, or one of, or one of them, um, we, uh, I, I dropped some money on a guitar and had it made through uh, this guy, Creston Lee, that lives out in Vermont. And he does like a bunch of old woods, kind of like barn caster kind of stuff. And uh, I saw that uh, I got onto him through that band Grand Champagne here in town. Okay, right. That the singer Channing was playing one one night and it looked like mine, but there was all these things about it that were different. Like it had P90s and the headstock was weird and and uh, I was like, where the fuck did you get that, dude? And he was like, oh, there's this guy, Creston, you should check him out. So that was sort of like my holy grail sort of thing for a while where I was like, I'm going to get one of those one day. And uh, I ended up getting one. And I love that guitar so much. And it freaked. I used to take it out on the road. It was like in Band of Horses. It was my number one. But uh, it freaked me out because there was a gambler's tour that we did with Off of Their Heads. And I sweated the fucking thing out during a show in Chicago at subterranean. Uh, it was so oh, hot. I remember how it, hot that show was. Yeah. Yeah. It was so hot. And I, we were all just soaked from head to toe. So it was like, I just dunked the thing in water. So it just stopped making sound. Cause I, my Walnut telly switched to be in the backup on that tour. And, uh, I went over to that and I had to let it sit out for a whole day to dry out. And it's, it still yeah. works. I even sent it back to Creston and I was like, Hey dude, I got to get some sort of shielding or something. I don't know like what I got to do, but these gambler shows are hot, man. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, Gamblers and so, is hot. Yeah. And so runs he, hot, uh, baby. He, he did some stuff to it. It works. It's a great guitar, but now I've gotten so like precious about certain things. Like I don't ever want to, after having so many, this deluxe is stolen. That's one of the reasons why I love those guitars is that they're not super fucking expensive and they're always the same. Like you get one from Fender and like, it may not be like some high end boutique thing, but they're always going to play and feel the same and you can rely on them. They're tanks yeah. and they do the thing that I like. And so that's why I've gone through so many of them. And now I've just got these other variations of like, kind of like this thing was pretty sick. This is just one of those Keith Richards ones. And I put a lot right. of street in it and this thing smokes, dude, it's rad. And so this is a good Mexican reissue. You just kind yeah. of soup up a couple of things and then it's good to go. Good to go. I love them. They're just 
they're just tank guitars and they stay in tune so well. I have the 63 Nash Tele, just their standard Tele. It's probably one of the best guitars I own, just out of the box, was perfect. Yeah. Um, well, so I usually ask every guest, and Ian, you've sort of given me a little bit of it, but one that got away, a guitar, a piece of gear, something that got stolen, you had to hawk, you lost. Um, Ian, you've already said you had three of your Telecasters stolen, but does anything come to mind for either of you specifically? Like, it could be a pedal, it could be anything. The SG was the one for me. The SG? You guys um, both have kind had, of already covered it, yeah. There was a pedal that, um, there was a tremolo, it was a Boss tremolo pedal that on Against Me Tour that James Bowman and I worked on. He kind of hot-rodded a little bit, and it sounded perfect and awesome, and I was waiting to put it on my pedal board and got lost on tour. That's one thing that I always wish I still had. But he did send me another tremolo pedal just a couple of months ago. And that thing sounds oh, that's awesome. so nice. Yeah, it's I really like that. And I, I just reminded me uh, when y'all were talking about guitars, Zach, you also got me a Melody Maker. Oh yeah, I don't know if you remember that. You got me a Melody Maker, and I've always wanted one because I, I talked to you about that. And you got me one, and thank you again. It was awesome. And I always wanted that Joan Jet Melody Maker, so I took it, I stripped it down, I painted it white, I got a black pick guard for it. And Chris Saylor, who does sound for us, front of house, he's a luthier. He builds guitars and builds pickups. He built a single coil pickup for it, and we stripped that one down too. You know, got new tuning heads on it, new nut, new uh, bridge. So that's that thing's been Frankensteined out too. And I play that one a lot, not as much lately. Oh, yeah. but that one, yeah, that one and the, and the Les Paul are the are the two. But so, anyways, but going back to your your question, the, the SG and that hot rodded tremolo pedal are the two that for me are the ones that I wish I had back. Ian, is it your deluxes? Yeah, I think that like having and also my first telly, like the very first one that got stolen too, because that turned into my backup. We had our trailer broken into in between tours one year and it fucking sucked here in Austin in front of Stan's house, Stan Rose, our buddy. I remember that. I remember that jacket and Pat was yeah, living there. Sucked. They took both of my tellies and then the one that I got, it was brand new and this was fucked up when we were in that Canada tour with against me. I remember it was so cold that we were like trying to be smart. And we were like, let's put all of our guitars in the van. So when we get to the hotel, we'll take them out. And it was so fucking freezing. And the hotel was so close to the venue that we, we jumped in the van, drove to the hotel and we just were like, Oh my God. And we just bolted in indoors forgetting that we had put all of our guitars inside of the van to bring in and so the next day pat came out and he like knocked on our our hotel room door and he was like dude man they fucking broke in the window and this thing was just like a you know it was brand new reissue it was probably worth like 400 bucks or something and Foddy's guitar was in there and Pat's bass. And those were like these relics, you know, 1970s, yeah. whatever's super expensive, yeah, but they were beat forever. to shit. Yeah. They were beat to hell and looked all fucked up and mine was brand new. And so they took the brand new guitar cause it was the most shiny, even though it was worth <laughs> the least. Yeah. I wish I would have had that, but that's the thing. I mean, I've now it's just whatever, you know, Oh, they uh, did take my backpack. They took my backpack. Oh, they took your with passport my with my passport oh. in it. And now I'm in Canada with no passport. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get home. It was a mess. I, I mean, obviously it, it worked out. That's when yeah. you used to just it was so say cold. That was when you used to say yes to tours just because it was a tour. And you're like, fuck yeah. And you're not thinking that, oh, wait, we're in Canada in February or whatever it mm-hmm. is. You're That's like, exactly what it was. It was oh, February and we were in Montreal God. and it was yeah. so cold. There was snow and sleet 
hovering above the, the road and we couldn't, there's no, you couldn't yeah. see where the road was. At one point we realized where I was driving too. And I was driving like eight miles an hour, which felt fast. Yeah. And I, I realized at one point we're not even on the road anymore. Like the roads are really, so you're on, like got back you're on, on the road, lake. They're like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Like we gotta, we gotta find a place to stop. Well, especially since we're all from Texas. So when it's winter, yeah. winter like that, we're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. 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 Well, at the end here, I, I do want to plug and by the time this airs, I believe it'll be out. You guys are re-releasing your seminal second record, which is something it's to know about. Oh, it's out. It's, it's out. out. It's so out now. everybody check that out and buy it on vinyl and support the guys. You guys are doing a, some touring as, around it as well. So look on the, all your socials, uh, the Riverboat Gamblers, and look that up and see if they're going to be in your town and go support and love them like I do. It's going to be great. I'm so excited. It's Yeah, I'm real stoked on this, man. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see you guys do the whole record in its entirety, which I haven't seen. I mean, I've seen you do it before, but not specifically just the record. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We did it once before, and it was super At fun. Fearland. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, and you know, and I consider myself an honorary gambler because I have played with your band as both of you, and I've played with both of you. We've done three like the Leonard Skinner uh, Riverbug. I love doing yeah. that, man. It's, it's so, it's much, so fun. much fun. We got to do it again. We got to get four up there. We'll get Cole up there. Let's let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Well, you know, I'm I'm forever in uh, in your service. So you know, you let me know, and I'll I'll be there with bells on. And you get a solo. And you get a solo. Like the Oprah solo. guitar solos. <laughs> Everyone gets this. We just all solo at the same time. It's called it's called you solo know. project. I don't stop. I have to walk off stage. Just keep going. Uh, I I love you guys. Uh, I love you guys uh, for, uh, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Hell yeah, man. All right. Thanks for having us on, man. This is awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Of course. Of course. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. See, I think it's pretty evident and palpable that we all love each other. Those are my brothers, man. They're my brothers. I'm so happy I got to have them on here. I can't believe I waited this long to talk to these guys. I think it's just one of those things that really never dawned on me because I talked to them in everyday life anyway. And oh, right, you guys are also guitar players, as is most of my friends. I love them so much. And I'm so glad we got to have that talk. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm going to thank the folks over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. Find out what they're doing at jimdunlop.com. I'm also going to thank the people over at DistroKid. Find out what they're doing. They are doing just amazing work helping artists of all stripes get their music on all the streaming platforms. That's DistroKid. So check out what they're doing. I'm going to leave you with some of the wonderful music by my guests today, Ian and Foddy from the Riverbuck Gamblers. This is going to be a song of theirs called Denton. For those of you not from Texas, that is Denton, D-E-N-T-O-N, which is the town they're from, the little small town in North Texas. And I am also from a little small town, North Texas, about 20 minutes away from Denton. So soft spot in my heart. So check out this song from those guys where they get to do some really cool guitar interplay, listen to their wonderful, wonderful work, and pick out anything that they've done, anything Riverboat Gamblers. Check out the record that Ian made with the Band of Horses. Check out Ian's... Broken Gold releases. Check out Foddy's release that you just just talked about there. Yeah, just check out anything they did. Thank you for listening. Thank you for for tuning in. I'm going to keep doing these. I'm really proud of this season. I'm so glad you're all tuning in. I'll keep doing them, and I will talk to you soon. (laughs) 